You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Good morning and welcome. Of course, you are here with Counterculture with Marie on RCR. It's with great pleasure I welcome back to Counterculture Trevor Loudon, writer and political commentator. Hey, Trevor, how are you? I'm doing great, Marie. How are you? I'm very well. Very well. And we're getting sort of the, to the pointy end of elections both here and, oh, it's what, only about, well, I think January, late January, you reckon the primaries? Yeah, the primaries in the there? States, the, yeah, not yes, far away. Not far away. And I thought it was a perfect time to get you back. You put out a great video that I saw recently around the Green Party that I thought was fantastic. So answer me this, why can't the Greens be what they actually claim on the tin? Green. Well, because the Greens, as I say in the video, are a watermelon party. They're green on the outside and communist red in the middle. It was always set up as a communist party, but they knew that would never sell in New Zealand. But a lot of America, New Zealanders are very keen on the environment. It's a beautiful country, unspoiled country. So they had to put the green cloak on to get the votes, to get the support. If, if I guarantee 95% of, of New Zealand Green voters have no idea that they're voting for a communist party, but they are. Even Chris Trotter, her leftist himself, said the New Zealand Greens are the reddest Green Party in the world. You know, Sue Bradford, ex-Workers Communist League, Keith Locke, ex-Socialist Action League, Russell Norman, ex-Socialist Workers Party, Materia Ture, big ties to the Cubans. They're all Marxists. They certainly have been, I think, taking things to a new level in the campaign here. And they're going after the classic Marxist tropes. So the wealth tax is certainly one that was very high on their agenda. Interestingly enough, they've been very conspicuous in their absence in terms of the lead up in the election, in terms of the media, and yet they're polling at the highest levels ever. I mean, have you got any thoughts on that? How, I mean, it's, it seems quite paradoxical, but that's what's happening. Well, I think that that what they're doing, they're doing what the Republicans did here in the last election. They're thinking the Democrats are so bad, we just don't say anything and we'll take their support. Well, they're thinking, well, Labour is so atrocious that left-wing voters are going to gravitate towards us as long as we don't say anything too controversial, as long as we keep our mouths shut, just fly the green banner, and we'll just let Labour implode and we'll take their vote. I think that's their strategy. And and it's working so far. They're, they're what, 14 15 14% now? Labour's... 26, 27%. That's a, a substantial victory for the Greens, a potential a substantial victory, uh, a, a substantial victory for Marxism. That's what it will mm. be. If they said what they are, if they actually vocalised their platforms and the damage it will do to New Zealand society and the economy, they'd be on 1% or 2%. Mm. But silence is golden in this, in this, uh, this instance. One of the things I've noticed is whilst uh, the Labour Party and Te Pāta Māori have been using race as a wedge and a lever, the Greens 
are going back to a good old tried and true, and that is the politics of envy. And wealth is where they're actually placing that wedge. They're also driving into identitarianism, but at the end of the day, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that does appear to be what they're doing. So it will be really intriguing to see what happens. It's looking like that as well as Chloe Slawbrick holding his seat, they are making a run for the likes of Wellington. And I know that they're also having a good run at Mount Albert as well. So it will be interesting to see. I mean, Labour's failure is going to be the green success by the look of things. The Labour brand is so tarnished. But the left-wing voters, um, you know, and success begets success. So if the Greens start getting 12, 14, 15, 16%, you know, if, if it's timed right, they could end up on 16, 17, 18, maybe even 20%. Mm. You know, they could. Uh, they're not going to not gonna become the tip labour out of first place on the left, but they could run it pretty close, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris Hipkins, do you think he'll come out of this unscathed or is he already starting to look across across the ditch for other opportunities? Do you think he's buffing up the resume? No, he, he's done. You know, when he loses this election, you know, he, he's got nowhere to go. You know, Labour will have to look for a new leader, a fresh face, as they have done about six times in the last eight years. Yeah, he'll be off at uh, go to Oxford University or Harvard or or something overseas you know, make hay over there, but his his career's finished here. And it's a good thing because, you know, I, I just released the video on the Green Party, but also put one out on Chris Hipkins and his Maoist past. You know, the guy is a Maoist, a pro-Chinese communist who has done everything he can to align this country with China to get this country in the grips of China because... You know, he came out of Maoist politics at Victoria University. He's always worked with the Maoists. And people don't if people don't understand what Maoism means. And in, in the 60s in, in New Zealand, in the Vietnam War and the uh, era, a lot of New Zealand students looked to Mao Tse Tung for the answers. You know, that was their, he was their god, god their idol. And they all started to this this persisted and is still happening today in Victoria University and Auckland University. These Maoist students come out of out of student politics, then they go into the Alliance Party, the Green Party, the Labour Party, they become cabinet ministers, and they promote the same divisive racial policies that the Maoists did, the same class policies, the same you know, all, all the stuff that co-governance policies, et cetera, all these are Maoist policies. These come out of the Maoist movement. And Chris Hipkins is a poster boy for that. Jacinda Ardern was involved as well in that. And Helen Clark was one of the very first at it. So you've had three generations, three Maoist prime ministers in New Zealand, all who have built huge ties to China, alienated our Western allies, and fostered racial politics like you wouldn't believe. Mm. That's their agenda. That's and their goal. Grant That's Robin their way to revolution. And I think Grant Robinson's uh, up to this to his eyeballs as well. I think him and Hipkins are contemporaries on that score. Well, he was a student radical at Otago. He was involved with the same Maoist groups 
that Chris Hipkin was involved in. See, in the, in the 90s, when Chris Hipkins was there in Wellington, it was the Radical Society run by Alistair Shaw. They had a subgroup called the Aotearoa Youth Network, which Grant Robertson was involved with at Otago. Then Aisha Verrill was involved in it as well. You know, another. So you, you can, um, another one to come out of this, uh, this group was Phil Twyford who was Minister of Housing, I believe, Minister of Transport at one stage. A whole bunch of your Labour MPs came out of Maoist student politics. They love China. They are loyal to China, which is why New Zealand is getting more and more and more sucked in to the Chinese nexus. And it's actually a really dangerous thing because being someone who does a bit of business with China in the day job, the other life, we're certainly seeing some cracks appear financially up there and some pressures. The housing market there is looking like it's going to collapse. Yep. What, how dangerous is a significant financial collapse in China on New Zealand with the current state of financial entwinement? Well, it's, there's two factors here. The, the, the Chinese economy is on the verge of collapse. And maybe they will stave it off, maybe but it's not looking good. Property companies, big property companies are on the verge of collapse. They've overbuilt like crazy. There's two factors here. Bringing down the Chinese economy will have a massive impact on most Western economies, particularly New Zealand, because it's a, such a huge market for us. But also, will it push China into war in the Pacific? When a dictator is on the verge of losing power, what do they do? They either collapse or they go to war. And China's already poised to go to war in the Pacific. And it won't just be Taiwan, believe me. Mm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go well beyond Taiwan. So will this collapse delay the war or will it hasten the war? Will they decide, no, we better rebuild and, you know, or, or will they decide we haven't got any time left? Our own people are going to rebel. We're, we're, we've got to go to war now to rally the people to, to strike out into the Pacific. So it's it's from a an economic point of view, it's very scary, but also from a military point of view, it's, mm. it's horrendously scary as well. Well, they've sort of built bases in that, uh, that South Asian basin, haven't they? And they've made strategic alliances with the likes of the Solomon Islands. Because those countries, whilst for many of us we think third world or potentially impoverished, they are actually very, very mineral rich. And surely that's what the Chinese would be looking at, I would have thought. Well, they want that, but they also want a strategic base. If they can get a base in the Solomon Islands, which I think they've signed agreements to build one, that will give them the power to project naval power right into the South Pacific. You know, Fiji, the Cook Islands, New Zealand, Australia will all be within striking distance. Now, I had a great interview with Rick Fisher. He's an American uh, military expert on China the other day. And he said, one of the main reasons the Chinese want influence in New Zealand is that it's a staging base to Antarctica. This is really weird. You know, the Chinese plan to attack America from across the South Pole because with their missiles because the Americans never figured that they would ever be attacked from the south, only from Russia and China and the north. So all of their weapon systems are facing north. And so China wants 
a military base in the South Pacific and influence in New Zealand and Antarctica so they can send their missile, have guided missile stations in those areas so they can attack America from the south. And this sounds all, you know, like science fiction stuff, but, you know, Rick Fisher is one of the top military experts in the United States. And he, China is his specialty. He's very highly regarded. And that's what he says. That's why China wants the base in the Marsh in the Solomon Islands, why it wants huge influence in New Zealand, and why it's already got bases in Antarctica. They really need New Zealand as a as a bridge between the Pacific and Antarctica. It mm. makes it, you know, for refueling, for uh, supplies, and 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 putting a, a military staff here to 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 help their other systems. So we shouldn't think like Helen Clark told us that New Zealanders are living in a, a benign strategic environment. It is not at all. And it's certainly not in a benign economic environment. We're in a bit of a bind because I would like to see the Chinese economy collapse because it might make them less of a threat. But I understand the economic implications of that as well. Do you think part of that is because in this country we are very, our thinking is very short term? We find it very difficult to think beyond chunks of three years, whereas in regimes such as China or Russia or even the communist ethos, they actually think well beyond that. You know, it's generational thinking as opposed to months or years. Well, yeah, there's a famous story about, I think it was Mao Zedong, and people say it's not true, but it illustrates the point. So somebody asked Mao what he thought of the French Revolution. Now, this is 1780-whatever. And he said, it's too early to tell. Uh, look, New Zealanders, we think, in three-year gaps, but also there's a, a character thing. New Zealand lives in one of the most benign, friendly, open societies in the world. And that breeds a sense of complacency and a, a sense, a little bit of naivety too. We don't really, we think we don't want to invade other people. We don't want to conquer territory. We just want to live by ourselves and have a good life. So they think everybody else thinks like that too. Well, China doesn't think like that. Mm -hmm. They see themselves as the master race, like Hitler did. They have this communist ethos. And communism must expand to survive. It's like a cancer. It doesn't really produce much on its own. It can only parasitize. It can only consume what others have produced. And so it, it must always expand. And, and for China, the Pacific is the place to go. They covet New Zealand. They, they would covet Australia. And ultimately, what well, they want to replace the population of North America with their own people. So we're living in... in very, very epochal times, you know, and will Western civilization survive? Will it not? Well, that depends on how we get out of our short-term thinking mm. and start getting out of our naivety and start actually preparing to, to defend ourselves. Like uh, Rick Fisher said, and, and there's a great, I did a great podcast with him and he said, but we could buy, and he named the Condor rockets. We could buy half a dozen of these rockets, put them in, put them there, and we could defend ourselves from any invading navy for two thousand miles out for uh, for nothing, for for virtually you know the cost of a of a short motorway somewhere, mm. and we could do this. 
Which political party do you know in this coming election is even talking about China as an issue? You name no. one. Yeah. It's yeah. the big elephant in the room. Doesn't matter what else we do in New Zealand. We are economically entwined with, with China. They're a huge military threat and they are working. They have infiltrated particularly the Labour Party, but also the National Party to some degree. They have many of their agents and key positions in New Zealand right now, some New Zealand-born, some immigrants, and, and they basically manipulate our politics. And we we got to wake up to this. Anne-Marie Brady, who's been trying to warn about this for years, is 100% right. That woman deserves a medal for trying to point this out. You know, we are facing a massive threat from China on a, on multiple fronts. It doesn't matter what, matter what else we fix. If we can't protect ourselves from China, it's all for nothing. Because militarily, that is one of the things that never gets talked about in this country, is the health and well-being of our military. And oh, several months ago, I read a story that really didn't gain traction, but it was talking about the readiness of our current fighting force across all three divisions of our military. And it said that only around one third were fit or healthy enough to go into any form of active combat if New Zealand was to go to war, which yeah. is a terrifying thought. Well, exactly. And I also heard that during the pandemic, because soldiers were used to enforce pandemic measures, we lost had a 25% turnover of staff in a couple of years. You know, that's experienced staff. You don't rebuild that in five minutes. So the fitness levels are down. The morale isn't great. They're not well equipped. You know, we don't have an Air Force any longer. We've lost some of the very best people. But don't worry, China's our friend. China mm. would never do anything to hurt New Zealand. We have been lulled for a long time by successive Labour governments who are in the bed with the left and successive national governments who don't want to frighten the people because it might put might put people off voting for them into this complete complacency. But look, I know, I've talked to New Zealanders on the ground. They are worried about China, very worried, but none of the political parties will talk about it. No. no, no. Not even it's New Zealand First, not even conservative, new conservatives, certainly not national, certainly not ACT, certainly not Labour, who is completely co-opted by them and the Greens, who are basically working for Cuba, which is an ally of China. Mm. And the difficulty too, I think, is there's so many issues here on the ground, and the especially around inflation and cost of living. And then mm. one of the things I think they miss is that connection between those elements and our economic umbilical cord back with China. So, you know, they are all intertwined in one form or another, aren't they? Here's another thing I think that many people don't consider. The Chinese have a pol a Chinese Communist Party has a policy called the mass line. It means the Chinese Communist Party comes up with a an idea or concept and everybody must conform conform. At one point in the Cultural Revolution, everybody in the country had to go and kill 10 flies every day. Everybody had to do it. You get punished if you only got nine. Okay. What we saw during COVID was Chinese mass line politics enforced on New Zealand. It was never going to be about hydrochloroquine or vitamin D therapy or herd immunity. It was only going to follow the Chinese model, masks, lockdowns and vaccinations, 100% enforcement of the Chinese model. 
which comes through the World Health Organization, which is run by Tedros, uh, a pro-Chinese Maoist from Ethiopia, and the head of his social compliance unit, Susan Mickey, a member of the British Communist Party and a complete China lover. And who did we have as health minister then and prime minister? We had Chris <laughs> Hipkins as health <laughs> minister, yeah. Jacinda Ardern as, as prime minister, but the head of messaging in the prime minister's department was Sarah Helm, of the formerly with the Radical Society of Auckland University, the Maoist group at Auckland University. Jacinda Ardern's campaign manager, Brendan Lane, was also from the Radical Society at Auckland University. So we had Chinese mass line politics in New Zealand for two years, which wrecked the economy caused massive social dislocation, massive PTSD and, and thousands of people. And we don't see that this came from China. The Chinese gave us the disease, then they managed the response through their subservient politicians and the unions, which are in, in New Zealand are mainly controlled by communists loyal to China. People have no idea that the lockdowns, the, ma the masking, the vaccination was Chinese policy enforced mm. in New Zealand. We had two years of Chinese communism in New Zealand, and most New Zealanders have no understanding of, of that concept. So let's cast our eye across the traditional antidote to this, which has always been a strong North America and particularly a strong United States. Yeah. Currently at the moment we're into primary season. And let's face it, I think you would have to be deaf, dumb and blind to not realise that Joe Biden isn't running the show. He's, you know, yeah, he's bumbled yeah. he's bumbled out as sparingly as possible. So heading into primary season, you have on the Democratic side, Joe Biden, and then they are almost taking, it's interesting, the Democrats are almost taking the same approach that Labour and National are taking with Winston in this country. If we ignore the him long enough, judge, and I'm talking about Robert Kennedy Jr., if you ignore that candidate long enough, hopefully it will go away. What is happening on that side of the fence? Because surely I'm stunned. Last time we spoke about it, you suggested potentially a helicoptering in of someone like Gavin Newsom, but it still hasn't yeah. happened yet. We're getting closer to those primary dates. Yeah. There's been no debates whatsoever on the Democratic side. Biden is bumbling around, and that's even before we get into the potential impeachment now that, that they're now looking at. What is going on, firstly, on the Democratic side of the fence for the current status quo, and before we cast our eye across over to what's happening with the well, GRP? Well, well, Newsom still has hopes of getting in, but it's getting very late in the day. See, they've got this massive problem. They've got Biden, who is, who is run basically by Xi Jinping and Barack Obama, and he's causing all sorts of havoc, but he clearly cannot be their candidate. But they can't get rid of him now because then they get Kamala Harris, who's also a Maoist and is absolutely completely unpopular in every sector of American society. So they're, they're in a real problem. Then they got Kennedy on the flank and they there's no way in hell they're going to let him get anywhere because he's uncontrollable. So they've got a massive problem, and the and and some people think they might try and parachute in uh, Michelle Obama at the convention or something like that. 
And and I would have poo-pooed that idea some time ago, but I think they're in such a bind that that might be the only desperate measure that gives them a shot Mm. because Newsom is unpopular. That's why Newsom is out there now. He's trying to debate Ron DeSantis because he's trying to lift his public profile. Democrats are in huge trouble Michelle Obama might be able to save them, but I can't see Newsom saving them at this point. Mm. You know, and we're we're assuming these are fair elections, okay? Mm. Well, that's that's not an, assum- an assumption we can really make. But there's also things happening like a Biden has just uh, funded multi-billion dollars in a an environmental core. This this is the sort of army that the civilian army that Obama was trying to do several years ago and this has been put together by the sunrise movement which is a front for democratic socialists of america and this is going to get billions of dollars to go out there and campaign and harass conservatives and that kind of thing that's what's happening on that side and it's and it's very uncertain how they're going to get out of this they have really made a lot of trouble for themselves they were so desperate not to have bernie sanders they gave themselves Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, about the two worst candidates they could possibly have. Mm. And now somehow they have to extricate themselves from that. And there's no thought of looking at someone like Pete Buttigieg? Yeah, well, he's another one that comes up. But, look, he is he's not. I think Buttigieg would, Buttigieg would be worse than Newsom. I would, if I were them, I'd rather have Newsom than him. The one they would really want would be Michelle Obama. But I don't think she wants to do it, but it may come down to her being strong-armed to do it. Well, her husband's running the country now anyway, mm. so it might make sense. But but I think they're just hoping they can put Trump in jail. They're hoping they can pull a whole bunch of tricks off, maybe start a war somewhere. Economic collapse could be around the corner. I'm sure there's lots of tricks up their sleeve yet, but they're actual an actual flat... They may not even be banking on having an election. Mm. You know, maybe yeah, that's their, their fallback plan as well. So, but if they are going to have an election, they've got a big problem mm. as it is now. So you mentioned Trump. Are these indictments? I mean, he's man- he's been Teflon so far. So how serious this time are they actually making something stick? Look, I, I think they will try and put him in jail. Yeah, I think they will. They are so hell-bent on having him not run. And see, see, they don't see this as a big problem, you know. They put him in jail. That'll trigger a whole lot of American Trump supporters, some of who may do some crazy stuff, just lose it, lose it and go and shoot somebody or whatever, who knows, and that will give them an excuse to just come down like a ton of bricks on any, anybody they don't like. I think they will try and jail Trump, absolutely because that will likely inflame enough people to give them an excuse to crack down. Mm. It's interesting how they're still persevering with this because the harder they come down on Trump, his support goes up. Have they not made yeah, this? Yeah, but, but, you know, look, if they can get convictions, and, and the other thing they're trying to do is because he was uh, and involved in an insurrection, Technically, there's several efforts in several states to take him off the ballot because you cannot stand if you've been ever been part of an insurrection against the US government. This is an old Civil War statute. So all they have to do is take him off the ballot in two or three states, two or three Democrat states, 
and that makes it, you know, that mm. that amps up the thing so even then, more. So then that actually shows you why they work so hard to take a civil protest to yeah. that level of insurrection to be able to dust off an arcane law to be able to take that's off right. The board. That's right. It was it's very much like what happened with the protest march in on Parliament. You know, a peaceful march in the parliamentary grounds, provocateurs turn up and start throwing rocks at the cops, and then the cops come in and start hosing people out of trees, and the whole movement gets tarnished. Well, that's January the 6th. That's what happened. There's so many FBI informants amongst all of that that they couldn't, they ended up losing track of them. Mm. You know, that was a deliberate provocation to a Reichstag moment where they could claim there was violence and therefore use that to to go after enemies, intimidate people, and potentially take people off ballots. Yeah, crazy. So in terms of the rabble that's left on that GOP side, and it's a crowded field, is it, do you think, an audition for a running mate or is it is it an audition for an understudy just in case? What are, what are your sort of views on what's going on with the rest of those contenders? Yeah, look, I think the only one with any real chance is DeSantis, and he wants to run in his own right, and he's hanging in there. He can't say this publicly, but he thinks that Trump may be taken away. Right now, DeSantis is one of 15%, Trump's on 50%. But if Trump is taken out of the picture, he's prosecuted or he's jailed or he just runs out of money to defend himself, yeah, he, he's his own man. He's He wants to be the presidential candidate. None of the others have any chance. Mm. It's only guy they're going to be Trump or DeSantis. You know, the Democrats don't like either of them, but right now the one they just hate beyond all power, all reason is Trump. So that's that's what they're going to do. That, but they might uh, they might rue that <laughs> they might rue that one day down the down the track. There's so many factors here that it's almost impossible to predict what's going to happen from one day to the next at the moment. Yeah, it, yeah. it really is beyond anything we've ever seen before. Well, and the only ones that seem to be benefiting out of this are the lawyers. It would be a great time to be a, a litigator oh, in this time, wouldn't it? Well, that's right. They can be the they'll make themselves the richest men in the gulag, you know, yeah. and uh, so good for them. But so I go to a lot of meetings here. I speak at a lot of audiences, and and the base is some of them are discouraged, some of them are energized, but everybody is confused. Nobody has a clear way forward here. That That is by design, I think. They mm. just want to spread as much confusion as they can, as much disinformation, as much propaganda. You know, I, I joke that there's three main elements elements in the atmosphere right now, and that's uh, nitrogen, oxygen, and propaganda. Too much propaganda denies you of oxygen and turns your brain to mush. That's what they're trying to do, I think. Mm. Speaking of propaganda, uh Justin and his uh, house speaker Rota got themselves into a bit of a sticky wicket the oh, other day, didn't they? That was was unbelievable. How you wonder if that was orchestrated because how could they not have known that an Ukrainian who fought against the Russians, who else would have been fighting for but the Nazis? Mm. You know, who who who? If you look at just history at that time, did they not? 
you know, he was publicly known that he was ex-SS. He must have been uh, just in the very last year of the war or something because he would have been born about 1933, so he would have only been about 18. I think he's he's in 98 or something, isn't he? I thought he was only 90, but maybe I was wrong. Maybe not yet. He's, He's a ripe old age. Yeah, he's very much. I thought he was the same age as my old dad. So, but he would have been a fairly young man in the last days of the war. But you know that speaker has resigned uh, from Parliament. His career's finished. He put a lot of ego on a lot of faces. Yeah, that that was. That so was what we're tra- talking just tragic. in case listeners that haven't caught up with this, there was in the House in Canada there was a standing ovation for this former Ukrainian soldier. And as it turned out, he was a Nazi. So they're sort of backtracking with all this egg egg on face. And to me, it just showed you really the true infantile nature of Justin Trudeau. Like he's, I know somebody who knows him and their family and his nickname uh, apparently was Pretty McDumdum. I was talking to him about this last night and I said to him, I said, oh, I said, your old mate's got himself into a bit of poo and he just shook his head and went, yeah, not Yeah, well, when you say knows his family, you mean the Cuban side or the Canadian side? No, the Canadian side. The The Canadian Canadian side, side. okay, yeah. yeah. Because he's ideological, Justin. I mean, he's like Jacinda. He lives in the world of bumper stickers. We like to throw out, you know, all our little bumper sticker lines. And I guess that from their perspective, they looked at this... Vladimir had been over for a visit. He they wanted to look good to to Vlad, and they did this huge, big virtue signal, and it's come back to bite them in the bum. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and Justin is, you know, he's a left wing ideologue. You know, his father, you know, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, you know, was was deeply in bed with the Communist Party in Montreal. He he went to China in the early sixties. You know, people don't realize just how far left these connections go. He was a hardcore Marxist, and but you know, very popular president of Canada for a long time. Had had a lot of influence in the direction of that country, and now Justin Trudeau is up there, and they've just had a big scandal in Canada where the Chinese had influenced about 10, 10 to twelve elections in his favour. But you know, there's nothing to see here. It's all it's all mm. sort of you know quietly fading away. But this is the point I've been making: is that the Chinese are influencing elections all over the Western world, particularly in New Zealand, particularly in Canada. They bring huge numbers of their people into the country. They start buying politicians. They start funneling money to certain politicians. They set up bogus real estate companies that that channel money. So, uh, you know, back back uh, 10, in 2009, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service issued a report saying that the Chinese government had complete control of the provincial legislatures of both British Columbia and Alberta, Canada's two richest provinces, not influencing complete control of. This was 13 years ago, 14 years ago. So we we need to understand in the West just how deep the Chinese penetration is of countries like Canada, New Zealand, Britain, the United States. You know, if you were Xi Jinping and you wanted to take down the West, you could get into a multi-billion dollar trade war or a multi-trillion dollar shooting war before you were ready, 
Well, you could just budget a few billion dollars every year to buy up New Zealand politicians, Australian politicians, Canadian politicians, American politicians to do your dirty work for you. What do you think would be a better investment and a safer investment? Mm. The only fly I can see potentially in China's ointment is the plummeting birth rate. Now, well, they, aren't, yeah. they aren't at replacement. They dropped the one-child policy, but they've gone and culturally set a paradigm that young Chinese are not really prepared to shake themselves out of. Do you think that they will use their power and influence to try and reverse that, or, is, or are they looking at trying to expand elsewhere to offset that? You're right, because, you know, the Chinese are used to the to the affluence that comes from having a small family, and they're not going to go back to having six kids and living in poverty. You know, you can't change that pattern back very easily. So they've got this massive problem looming. So does this mean, you know, as I said with the economy, you know, their their plan is to attack America. Their plan is to become the dominant world power. But their economy is faltering and their population is declining. Does that mean we put our plans off, we abandon the plans, or does that mean we advance them while we still have enough people? I think we're entering the most critical phase of world history over the next 10 years, maybe the next five years. Either China is going to go to war with allies, probably with Russia, probably with Iran, probably with, uh, you know, Would they maybe go with even North Korea. Yeah, oh, definitely North Korea. Yeah, because I see that they've uh, they've just enshrined their nuclear ambitions as the ultimate national mission. The North Koreans. Yeah, yeah well, that's Here's right. They, but but North Korea is a puppet of China. We we people people say, well, let's let's influence. China to reign in North Korea. That's like saying, let's influence Hitler to reign in Mussolini. They're allies. But we have this diplomatic BS, these diplomatic niceties that North Korea is this independent actor that just does crazy stuff. And if we can get the moderate Chinese to rein them in, that might be good. No, North Korea does what China tells it to do. Mm. It's useful. And so they are fully committed um, they've even threatened to attack South Korea very recently. China has just taken a, a little bit of Philippines territory. It basically thinks it now owns the South China Sea, which is the major trade route that supplies Japan. So now Japan is increasing its defence budget massively. Mm. So what do we got? We used to have uh, a strong American Navy in the Pacific and a weak China, and everybody was relatively happy and it was all fairly stable. Now, the, the U.S. Navy is way smaller than the Chinese Navy, and we've got very weak leadership co-opted by China in the United States. So what is China going to do? It's going to chance its arm now while it has an opportunity. It doesn't want to wait till you get a decent patriotic president in America who builds up the military and rebuilds alliances and whatever. So this is why we're in a very critical time, and mm. this way all free people need to stand together now. And that's even without looking at the tens of thousands of military-aged young men pouring across your southern border. Well, that's 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 again what you. That's another whole conversation, right. I think. That, that's right, but but the the communists see the American Revolution as coming across the southern border. I read all their literatures. They say the key to the American Revolution is a porous southern border. 
A, it's bringing millions of new Democrat voters across the border, but it's also bringing Hamas, Hezbollah, Russian space nuts, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Chinese military-age men, many believed to be involved with Chinese special forces. So this is what I try and tell my American friends. The day that China goes to war, you're going to see bridges blown up all over America. You're going to see mayors assassinated. You're going to see shopping malls attacked. You're going to see um, bridge dams blown up, reservoirs poisoned, because you've got all these people in America waiting for the word. Mm. And they have their their biological weapons. They have their weapons caches all over the Southwest. They just have to go and dig them up and go and destroy something. And so we're trying to fight a war in the Pacific with a leader that we can't trust. And meanwhile, we're running around with like chooks with their heads cut off, trying to deal with all these people um, running around blowing things up. And when Biden gave Afghanistan to China, which he did, they also captured the means of making real American military IDs. So how many of those people coming across the border have an ID saying they're Private Wing Cho of the 1st Marine Armoured Division or whatever, you know? Mm. And they can walk onto any base in the country and create mayhem. So there's all sorts of things going on here. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm, I'll, we'll probably, I'll catch up with you again definitely once the primaries get started because I think that, you know, as you said, it's a pretty fluid situation and it's hard to pick what's going on right now. And there's a lot of food for thought there, you know, and as you said, there's so many balls in the air, isn't there? You just don't quite know what's going to land where and when. But Trevor, it's been a joy as always. Thank you so much for joining me oh, again pleasure. this morning. Pleasure, Marie. And don't disappear, of course, everybody. Great content yet here to come on Counterculture with Marie on RCR. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.